Hi, I'm Rachel Goodwin and I'm a channel and healer who loves to teach and empower others. My work is about teaching you how to make a strong and powerful connection with your divinity, your divine spark, soul, higher self, whatever you want to call it, and then bringing that divine power right smack centre into the middle of your life so that it mixes and integrates with your everyday life and your everyday self. To me, this is ascension as it creates an overall rising of vibration and is where my path and yours has always been leading. Hi everyone, I've got a really special interview for you today with Imelda Almquist. We're talking about Nordic shamanism and I know many of you um, have been hearing me talk about Sather over on Ascension Runes on Facebook and um, with the other podcasts I do with Jamie Mendez, Evolving Into the Cosmic Heart. And today we have someone who has so many wise words of wisdom, knowledge, experience and really special, special understanding of Sather. Um, so I'm really pleased to present this interview today. Hope you enjoy it and lots of blessings to you all. So hello everyone. I'd like to um, welcome Imelda Almquist, who's with us this morning to speak to me. Hi Imelda. Uh, hi Rachel. Thank you for having me. Thrilled to be here. Oh, you're really, I'm, I'm just so like I'm nervous and excited to interview this morning. So um, Imelda is a teacher of Nordic shamanism and she's my teacher. <laughs> That's why I'm a bit nervous. <laughs> Would you like to um, present yourself a little bit to us? Well, I think you've already done it because I think, you know, it's a bit boring listening to that. So I'll be very short. Um, I'm a teacher of like Seder and Old Norse traditions, also a teacher of sacred art. I write books. I have three children and, uh, you know, I really love working with the runes. And that's something that Rachel and I have in common. I think it's more interesting for people to just go to the interview stage. Brilliant. Okay. Thanks for that. And I'll just mention that Imelda, she's originally from Holland. She lives in the UK and her husband is from Sweden. That's right. So multinational, multinational people here this morning. So where should we start? Runes, Saver, the pregnant hag. I watched your um, webinar. webinar. Oh, that was great. I really, I really, really loved that. It was a little bit like being back in the, the teaching classroom in, in Sweden. It was like... Oh, that's wonderful. Yeah. And, you know, it remains available. It's a free webinar. It's on the Teachable site. So anyone can go there and watch it anytime. It's free of charge. So, you know, if people want to see what that is, you know, just log, on, log in and watch it. Yeah. So, so Imelda's just started this. She's um, really been getting her technological game on. And she oh. set up her online. Let's, let's not talk about that. <laughs> You've done it though, Imelda. You've done it. Yeah. I've done it, but I've had a lot of help from one of your Sweden yes. sisters, shall we say. That's Valerie yeah. Boudere. Yeah. And if she hadn't come to the rescue, I think I wouldn't be alone until Christmas, like while I'm trying to work it all out. So I've yeah. had significant help because, you know, tech is not my strong point. I'll be honest about that. I have strong points, but tech isn't one of them. <laughs> Well, it's there, and Imelda's new school is on Teachable, and it's called The Pregnant Hag. Is that right? Pregnant Hag Teachings. The webinar is uh, called The Pregnant Hag, okay. or Meet The Pregnant Hag. Yeah. Yeah. Pregnant Hag Teachings is the name of the school, yeah. Yeah, and um, yeah, it's really, really enjoyable, the webinar, especially. So, I mean, this is one of the things I, I wanted to talk about, and um, what I've enjoyed from doing the, the Nordic shamanism and the Seder so much is it's really got a different energy of what it is to be a woman spirit spiritually to like mm. other spiritual kind of patterns and spiritualities that I've worked with. And that is one of my favorite things about it. And yeah, that's been quite life changing 
for me, actually. And I think it really does come from Scandinavia because I also feel it like here living in Denmark, there's like a different way of being a woman than there is wow. in, in the UK and, 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 and the States. And, you know, of course, I'm sort of talking a little bit about stereotypes here, but it's also about that, that energy structure that's kind of in the, the culture that it's, it's quite difficult not to get sucked into. Mm. And also there is an ancestral dimension as well, because like any culture has its own cultural ancestors. So it's not only like the people alive today that you are like living among and connecting with, but it's also there are very real energetic footsteps of the people who lived on that land, you know, like before us and the generations before. And all of that together does create a container. You know, I really believe that. I mean, as a Dutch person living in the UK, also living in Sweden for part of the year and teaching a lot in the US and other places, I really feel that, you know, every time I teach in another location, I step into a different energetic template. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And when I've been like describing to people what it's like to work with the norns or, um, you know, these sort of more crone energies from the Scandinavian mm. side of things, people have really got it. That's what that's what's been really interesting. It's like I kind of got that energy from, you know, living here in Denmark, but also sitting in the classroom in Sweden. Mm. It's like having a torch that's given to you and then when I describe it to other people they just get it they just get it too and I, I think there's a lot here about soul heritage and mm. it's something that's been hidden for quite a long time now or well you know maybe it's more outside of Scandinavia it's been hidden I I don't know I don't know but I mean you know for years I studied well, not so much studied, but experienced goddess spirituality. I Because mm -hmm. I'm a great book reader, but I never read books on the goddess and things like that. I just went and did sort of, you know, things with other people where we were actually working with those energies rather mm -hmm. than, you know, reading, reading about it. And the whole Norse thing was just so missed out from that. It just just wasn't there. I mean, you might get Freya, um, Freya mentioned but it would be a some love goddess, you know. Oh yes, completely. Oh, I know that one. Yes, it's just like, well, who is that? I don't, I don't identify with that at all. But that's how she is in the oracle cards, you know. So. Oh okay, yeah, oracle cards. Okay, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How, how, how would you describe her? Well, I mean, Freya has a connection to love, certainly. And, you know, in the Edda, it will speak of that, you know, that she takes a special interest or like watches over like lovers. So I'm not saying it's not there. It's not untrue. But what we should never forget that Freya also has a death manifestation. I mean, she rides out with her falconries like, um, and they fly over the battlefields. And she's one of the pickers of the slain. And it's even quite clear that like Freya takes her pick before Odin gets the other half of the slain warriors and takes them to Valhalla or Walhöl, depending on what language you're in. So um, to say that Freya is only a love goddess is a huge understatement of what she really is. But you know, this goes for every mother goddess, if we're now talking about goddess spirituality, that there's a lot of talk about, you know, love goddesses. And then we immediately think maybe about the Greek, um, you know, Aphrodite or like uh, the Roman, like Venus. They're like, you know, they epitomize the love goddess. Every love goddess that I've ever studied or worked with or, you know, brought into group work with people, every love goddess also has a death manifestation. And that's the only way it can be because life can only exist courtesy of death. And there can only be birth and creation courtesy of there also being destruction. That's not a message everyone wants to hear, but that is one of the messages of the pregnant hag, you know, that's very much the, the heart of that webinar. That's one of her teachings. Yeah, and, uh, and yeah, I really, I really love that. And I was thinking about this the other day because, I mean, I was born in 1970 and I grew up in a small town on the Kent coast in the UK. And, you know, I can really remember as a child that men seem to do most things and write books and make films and you know I, I of course it wasn't literally true but it, but it 
it was very much what I grew up with. And, you know, the town where I grew up in, girls were supposed to be pretty. <laughs> and you were supposed to have a certain shape, you know. And Oh, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I, you know, I didn't really fit that. I didn't really fit that criteria. And, you know, people thought I was a bit weird and a bit strange and, you know, like like many of us. I know many of us have that experience of, like, people could feel we were a bit different because <laughs> we <Right>. were. <laughs> but, um, I mean, that's what I, you know, the whole thing about, like, the, the, the Nordic cosmology, it kind of, it gives me a role model of somewhere I can actually see myself in it. I can wow. see... Oh yeah, I'm I'm in there because I didn't have that when I was a little girl, and I felt like oh there must be something wrong with me, and now that little girl is in me. She's going oh yeah, oh yeah, you know she's sort of found she's found herself in in oh. all of these things. That's like a homecoming, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Which is you know it's it's not something I expected really. <laughs> no, wow, but um very happy to hear this especially as your teacher you know for the time yeah. being yeah. but um and i think it has been the same for me because i've done some work you know in through a phase of um, studying and even teaching core shamanism and i'll never regret that because i met the most amazing teachers and i learned so much that helped me understand what goes on in those ancient norse texts so you know like in no way do i regret it not at all, but there was a point where I felt I had to make a choice, like I couldn't keep a foot in both camps anymore, or I couldn't sort of work in core shamanism and then do a bit of Norse material on the side. So the day came where I felt I had to make a choice and state my colors, and that's what I have done, uh, even publicly, and kind of like it tilted my world on its axis again. But also, the most important thing is being this homecoming to know where I belong and to really feel that I now teach the wisdom teachings of my ancestors and that in doing so, I even honor those ancestors, you know, who died for their beliefs. You think of the witches burned at the stake or, you know, the magicians and folk healers and sorcerers who have either been demonized or even been executed. It actually feels extremely important to actively make the choice to teach that again and to say that publicly, this is what I teach, this is what I'm about. Because it's also a way of honoring those same ancestors, you know, whose land we now work and whose material we are discussing here today. So um, I can relate to what you are saying, because like I think that feeling of homecoming is so important. And also I know many people, and it's understandable because when you're first starting out, you don't know where home is going to be. I've met many people who explore many different schools of thought or, you know, schools of spiritual belief. And that process of seeking absolutely has its place. But I think, you know, unless it's followed by a point of like knowing where you belong and where your home is, you can become a little bit like a butterfly. That you, so you visit a lot of different flowers. But also I think it's somewhere to really go deep with it and make it a deeply ingrained practice that really brings power to your life. I think there needs to be a commitment uh, to a tradition. I mean, at least that has been my journey and my belief. Mm. I, know, I know a lot of the people who are listening will be people who very much like tune into their intuition and, you know, work with signs and omens and things like that. And, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, that's really what led me on this path because, you know, like logically in my head, I have never been drawn towards Viking stuff or, you know, the, the, because it's, and it's very much the masculine side of it that gets presented. Mm-hmm. It's Odin yeah. and it's Tor and mm-hmm. you know, there's a lot of like killing and blood <laughs> and stuff like that. And and that's like, that's so, that's so, that's so not me, but I, um I got drawn on this path because I was looking at, I got a real urge to learn about shamanism a few years ago and I was, going to language school at the time in Denmark and so I was doing like left brain stuff all week and it was Mm -hmm. really doing my head in (laughs) you know it it was it was really challenging for me just to do that all day and then um it was summer break and I thought great I'm going to find myself some spiritual thing because I had no time all the time I was studying it was just you know left brain left brain and there were like Nordic stuff around here, 
um, in Copenhagen, but it was all booked up. And I was like, oh, damn. So I found Sandra Ingerman's online training she was doing. And then there was an interview with you talking about children Mm-hmm. working with children and as you know you know I've got I've got two boys and I listen I thought oh I really like that because I think it's something a lot of people are too scared to to go towards because it's involving children and it's like oh well you know well I get sued if I do that if I work with kids or you know people have a lot of fear I think about working with kids and um so it was great listening to you talk about it and give some inspiration. And I went on your website and then I saw that you were doing Nordic stuff. And I was like, no, God, I didn't even know this existed. And then and then I went and did the, um, you know, the, court, the, the intro course in Sweden with Anna Kjellin, which was great. She was fantastic. And, you know, in a way I was going because I just had this urge to do shamanism but it was also about connecting to the land that I'm living in because I feel quite disassociated sometimes with Danish culture because it's not it's not my culture and although I am part Danish part English now I wanted to connect to the spirituality because that's what I do you know I'm I'm a spirituality sort of person and so um, there were other reasons as well but I just went, I just thought, oh, you know, I'll just do this and that'll be it. <laughs> and then and then the journeys and everything that I did, oh my God. Oh, I mean, it was just, it was just so profound. It was untrue. And I never, I never expected it. I never expected it at all. And I think that is how it probably is for a lot of the people that I speak to. It was never, this is never something that they thought they were interested in until they heard like someone speaking about it, like me or you, or did a journey and got into it and then suddenly found there was this whole other world that's so different from this like previous perception of Odin and Vikings and stabbing Mm. people and, and all the rest of it. How did it how did it happen for you? How did you start with all of this? Well, I was brought up a good Roman Catholic girl in the Netherlands. And then at age 19, I was a first year art student in Amsterdam. Uh, I met my now husband, then boyfriend. So we met uh, it was like on an event uh, we did in London together where we were representing our own country. So there were people there from all over Europe. And um, so we got together. And then, of course, um, we were in London. He visited me in the Netherlands, and then I wanted to visit him in his own country. So I was 19 years old. This was my first visit to Sweden. Uh, it was a winter visit. It was very snowy. So I was walking around Stockholm at that time of year, like just before the winter solstice. Like, you know, if you're lucky, four hours of daylight. It's a really overcast day, not even that. And... Um, I was like, I, I liked walking around Kamlastan, the old town, and visiting antiquarian bookshops and picked up this little book, very cheap, I think I paid 10 pounds for it, like no money at all, about the Norse cosmology and the old Norse myths. And like, I opened it really old, to see antiquated Swedish, and I just uh, learned, I just taught myself Swedish, so I was reading in Swedish. So I picked it up, and it was this really antiquated Swedish. Um, not that I realized that, but like, I could read it. And it was like, I opened the portal and the Norse gods kind of like tapped me on the shoulder and I kind of like, you know, they just came and they never left. Uh, and I started making a series of paintings about those gods and about those stories. And I was so off the planet. I really had to adjust like that. My husband came home from his studies. I had to really take a moment to bring myself back to that reality because I was so deep in it. And the sense of homecoming was unbelievable. But also at that time, it was quite hard to find quality training in that material. And I probably didn't even know that. Plus, I was enrolled in art school. I was a, a teenager. I was an art student. So it's always stayed with me. And I've always like, worked with these calls for art in other ways. But as I said, then in the time came where the spirit sort of came, pinned me down one night and demanded I did shamanic training. I was not planning to do it, but I had three children aged like five and under. So to do intensive shamanic training wasn't in the wish list at all. But the spirits came and uh, reminded me that this was a soul commitment I had made and it was not time to do it. So I googled 
And it was so little available. I mean, I looked at Scandinavia first, but it was very disjointed. You know, you could do like one one workshop and then nothing for many months and then possibly another workshop a year from now. And I thought, now if I learn those skills, I am an organized Dutch person. I want to know there's a beginning and an end and I want to know what the curriculum is going to be. And I want the teacher really committing to delivering that on a certain amount of time. And that's how I ended up. Uh, enrolling in a core shamanism practitioner training. And I talked about that. It's not something I regret because it's been fantastic schooling in the technicalities of doing things. I don't regret it at all, but I then did have to make the journey back to the Norse material eventually. And the most interesting part was then marrying what I had learned elsewhere and reading the sagas again and reading the poetic that again. And then once you've clocked up so much shamanic training, including teacher level in the US, you think, ah, now I understand what's going on here. And then the next step is to say, okay, now I understand that. How can I put this in a format where other people can access it too? Because this is so important that this doesn't die out or that we write it off as a myth. It's far more than a myth. These are wisdom teachings that can make a real difference to our lives. Like I am testifying, you have testified, it did for you. So that then became my passion and then we bought a house in Sweden in the forest. And uh, the spirit sort of said that we will cooperate with you buying this house. Like other people wanted to buy it. So like leaving war and it became quite unpleasant. And I said to the spirit, but I really feel I need to be here. And they said, if you commit to bringing other people home, like to their soul home, you know, we'll make sure that this happens. So I made a, I made a pledge. I made offerings on the land and I made a commitment. And miraculously, the other people withdrew and we called the house. And, you know, as you know, on that property, there is a building, which is now an actual school. And you've talked about that, like, you know, like stepping inside that school and like being together with our wonderful group in Sweden. And like actually having that home base for the whole group and for the people who, well, COVID allowing, <laughs> can like come there in the future. And also to have seen people's reactions has been one of the biggest things for me, you, but also the other people on the Sweden program, our whole group. You know, I've seen people like in tears. They have been so moved, like being on that land and connecting with that material. And, you know, for me, even as a teacher, I think quite unlike anything else I've like taught or done. It's been very, very earth shattering and life changing, really. Yeah. That's it. And I think it's because there's, there's a bigger thing. There's a bigger thing happening here. This, this, this Nordic cosmology and spirituality. It's the time for it to come back now. And, you know, what, what I love about the way we work with it is, you know, it's through that we have got the grounding in all the academic stuff because, you know, I was amazed to find just what a wealth of material there is academically. Mm -hmm on all of this i mean oh, yes. it just doesn't exist in in any other type of spirituality i don't think there's just so much of it but then we're we're journeying and that's just such a useful tool then to have that direct revelation where we're making it a, a living breathing thing that exists mm -hmm. in the now you know because you know what what i didn't realize but you know you can sort of you can feel it in there you know it was they had so much lack of peace basically they had to fight so much to survive mm. and we live in a very very different world now and although mm. you know we mm. we need to really have a lot of resources and be strong in the world that we're in because i'm not sure it's any easier than it was but the but the challenges are are different and so mm. it needs to fit it needs to fit um our time but i also work with like land energy and there's a lot of like energy points around where I live that are just starting to wake up. And, and I think there's this whole, you know, I can feel like this whole wave of things just opening up in, in Scandinavia that's, that's really fascinating. And when I talk to other people about it, they, they really resonate with that. So I think this is something that's part of a much larger thing that's going on. Mm. Yeah, that's what I observe too. And I think it's very much, you know, we often speak of Norse myths, but I'm really trying to go beyond the word myth because myth people think, oh yeah, like myth, mythology. And that's why I use the word cosmology instead because it is a whole world view. It's a perception of the world. 
but also as you say the kind of the first people see of literature is the vikings the raids odin and thor and people get the impression it's a very masculine dominated world which of course you know some people will take it that way and make it that way there are like groups working with it in that way and like anything that is in existence it has it has its own shadow expressions i mean there's no getting away from that but the way that I choose to teach it and the way that it's opening up for the people that I work with is that there is um, a really strong a stronghold, like a realm of deep femininity, like at the heart. If you get beyond that surface layer of male gods and, and Vikings, like, and if you actually take the time to go beyond that and at the heart of Norse cosmology, you, for instance, find this mountain called Lufiaberi, which is the mountain of healing where Menclof resides, but some say she's really a manifestation of Freya. So here we're then meeting Freya more as a goddess of like healing rather than love goddess or death goddess. And she has these like nine maidens who uh, like work with her there, who are all amazing healers in their own right. And I've started doing this with like healing work with really sick people or like the students say, you really... And like, you know, so like one of the maidens there actually takes on the desperate cases. You're supposed to go and see her only when you have exhausted all other possibilities of healing. But then you seek this audience and you make a pilgrimage where you climb the mountain of healing. And I have seen miracles occur, you know, individually and in group work. And then for people to say, oh, you know, Norse cosmology is also uber masculine. It's like it is only that if you see it from the outset, if you don't take the time to really familiarize yourself and learn what is really there. And in these kinds of mystery realms, and also there, you know, I said all these like helpers and other divine beings, it is amazing what's available to us. And not just on the level of myth, like, oh yeah, it's like a story in a mythology book. No, I'm talking about people are very, very ill. Ill making a soul journey to the mountain of healing, maybe because they have a serious form of cancer or another illness, and actually receiving healing in that place. Their life and their physical health changing because of the journey they make to that place. So there's this whole realm, a feminine realm of healing and wisdom. And, you know, let me go back to those wisdom teachings of the pregnant head. Because these are all manifestations of, you know, it's grown wisdom, it's women's wisdom teachings, and it's all there. And also it's in the texts as well, if you know where to look. I mean, there are whole passages in various texts in the Poetic Edda where these realms are described. And if you know how to read it, you find um, instruction booklet, like how to code and how to work with it. So you're right, it's amazing what is there and what's available to us. And, it, and it's been fabulous to come on the Sather course with you and have this talk. And of course, we haven't done, we haven't gone into the whole um, Lufferberry uh, mountain yet. I think that's that's next year, isn't it? We're doing that module. Well, it was to have been June this year. Yes. The pandemic came. The Crown Goddess had other IDs. The Norns were carving a different fate. So it's now going to be June next year. But yes, this is the next thing we're going to do. And really yeah. on a professional level, how do I use these techniques as a healer to bring yeah. about real change in people's lives? Yeah, That's next up. But we have to all catch a Sweden from all over the world to be able to do it, you know? Yeah. But I, I'm, that is the module. I'm really so excited to be doing that. And I, I really hope by next year, that, I mean, things never stay the same. Of course, things will look different next year. But I have had a little hope Um there was an email from you a couple of weeks ago and people were writing in and then when I was going to sleep that night you know that bit as you're going to sleep and I was suddenly in the classroom in Sweden and mm. I could smell it how it smelled and I could feel the people around me and it felt like next year <laughs> so, yeah, so I'm hoping I'm hoping you know we'll we'll be there but but what but I, what I actually wanted to say was you know I'm so grateful to you that you've gone and done all that work and found all these things and and um, you know because I have my own work I don't I don't have the time to do all this groundwork and I know you have spent like years and years and hours and hours and days and months and you know you, there's so much work 
gone into like discovering all of this and working with it and then you know like you can teach it to us in a week you know yeah. I, I really appreciate the time and effort and wisdom <laughs> and experience that you've you've put into it because it's such a gift to to be able to receive that and it's like wow now I've got it you know well, that's wonderful to hear, but maybe also a word of caution. I'm a tough teacher. I say Hello. hard work. So, yes, I give it to you in a week and it's intense. And sometimes I see people like, uh, you know, can I absorb more when I go home? But then, you know, there really needs to be many months, if not a year. Like, like you've said about the runes of integrating and working with it. And what a lot of people do is they will attend courses with me and are always very excited. Imelda, what's the next thing? Send me a newsletter or tell me what are you teaching next and it's like hang on have you come back to the homework i said for the previous model or you talk to them and people say oh i've never heard of a whatever it is i say well excuse me i actually did i know it was a lot to take on i did teach that in module number two so have you read back your notes have you come back to that material because this thing of always wanting more but I think what COVID has really done, and you were the one who made this point to me, that was actually you saying that COVID in a way has given us the gift of deeply integrating what was already received. And that was a lot. That was a lot. Those two modules we've already done. And you were the one who said that maybe it's not a problem if this becomes a three-year training, because really what you've already given us takes more integration time than just the sort of months between modules. And I've really taken that on board, actually. That really sort of flipped something in my mind. So thank you for that observation. <laughs> oh, oh, you're welcome. Because like in, in many ways, you know, I think of myself, I'm a very slow learner because I take one thing and then I take it as deep, as far mm -hmm. as it can possibly go before I can move on to the next thing, you know, and that's, mm -hmm. that's just the way I learn. But then it means that when I sort of get to the end, boy, I've really, I've really learned it. Do you know what I mean? So excellent. Um, yeah yeah so yeah I'm a, I'm a i'm a bit yeah i'm a bit the opposite of like but i understand that thrill of like getting new material because it is exciting oh it's exciting <laughs> it's very i mean you know even i feel that when i start writing a new module i think oh this is exciting but uh there's also sometimes an idea now again you know COVID brings both really tough things. It also brings some unexpected benefits, but that people now think that you can teach everything online and then people think that you can like do in a 90 minute class what you would normally do in like a week in the forest in Sweden. Now, obviously there are like limits around that, but what I can do even online um, is give people enough to get them started. I'm pretty good at setting homework, like all of my all of my um, workshops or online webinars, they always end with homework suggestions. So if you want to take it seriously, now I give people a list of, you know, going deeper. And I think people who do that, they are like you, they really start plumbing the depth and then it's like, wow, what comes? But to just sit there and do nothing until the next webinar rolls, yeah, it's like, great, you'll still have a good time, but I don't think we are gonna really master the material because that requires commitment, time investment, and personal relationships yes it, it, it does and, and really it's the only way to learn these things like working with the runes the only way you're going to learn about runes is by working with them and like meeting uh -huh. with them it's like if you want to know a person you have to go and spend time with them and it's the uh -huh. same with the runes. Exactly. So it's like yeah. getting to know a person you have to get to know each room like have a personal yeah. relationship with and um yeah that's 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 one of the things that I always, you know, say to people about it. But I just wanted to go back to um, a point I was thinking about this this morning. And um, and that is about the word witch. Ah. <laughs> go for it. <laughs> so I have, I have a, another podcast that I do with an American woman. And, and we meet up once or twice a month. And we just sit on Facebook and we just chat. And we just say, how was your week? And, you know, see what comes up. And, and we have some really interesting conversations. And we frequently talk about this witch word. Mm. And because it still has a really bad rap, as far as I'm yeah. aware. And, you know, I have really strong feelings about that. Because witch, it's, it's, it's our indigenous word for shaman, really. I mean, it's, it's, they were the wise women and men 
Um, they were the the healers, and yeah, I, I feel like it's time for us to start reclaiming that word. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think there is a whole movement uh, afoot with that. And of course, within witchcraft, you have different schools and different beliefs. You have people. Well, I mean, it's a huge topic in its own right. <laughs> you could do a whole webinar or a whole podcast uh, just about that. And the way I work with it myself, and you've probably seen that, is that I've started calling myself a forest witch because, like, I've never, you know, I've never um, dabbled in big cow or, like, I've, you know, like I'm not involved in any of that, so I cannot associate myself with that. I think my personal connection is much more, as I said earlier, to those, you know, healers, uh, folk healers and medicine people, wise women and men who were often like demonized and burned even for their beliefs um, in Northern Europe, deeply uh, Northern European. Um, And I feel that by calling myself Forest Witch, which I sometimes do playfully, but also I've contributed, uh, I've written like chapters for books about witchcraft or, you know, like anthologies and stuff. Um, where I write about what I do. But for me, it's both about acknowledging that the forest is my kind of direct teacher, that, well, you know, you've been there, the forest around our house in Sweden, that I, every time I walk in there, I bring back something that I've learned. Like the forest truly is a teacher for me. That's not a metaphor. That's like a, a true fact. And then also by really calling myself a witch, which is going to surprise some people. Again, maybe my colleagues in core shamanism, like, oh, why don't you call yourself a shamanic practitioner? Huge issues around cultural appropriation, the whole word shaman, shamanism is controversial. You know, so there's a whole sort of, you know, story playing out there. So by calling myself a forest witch, it's kind of like I put myself back with my ancestors and I stand up for what they believed what they practiced and what they did so for me that's a very deliberate choice and I, I really love that, that term forest witch because it, it just immediately conjures up the connection to nature and the, and the power of the land it and does. it doesn't have any does. religious connotations or spiritual connotations or anything it just yeah. it gives you a feeling straight away of, of what it is Yes, of what is going on there. And also just the word witch, because, I mean, of course, I think on an ancestral level, you know, and it's not only in Europe, it happens in other places. Well, you know, there were witch hunts in the U.S. and even historically in other places, you know, like that kind of demonization happens everywhere. But let's speak specifically of Europe. Like for most people of European heritage, and that's both you and me and many other people, and that's even many people who maybe live in Australia or the US or Canada or all over the place, but whose ancestors were from Northern Europe. And that's a group that's often overlooked, but often they are the people that want to come to Sweden and, and learn their ancestral material, and they're the people that teach in the US. So we're really a very large group of people. For all of us in our ancestral field, is still held the fear of the witch trials because that happened to our ancestors so on an ancestral level that is like a wound there is something there that's imbalanced because it's never been publicly apologized for there's still until today healing work to be done on that not only on the individual level but also on the collective level so for me claiming that word for myself or coming out of it and i know it alienates some people but hey so be it you know that will just have to be it's kind of like it's form of restitution almost is saying that I stand with you, my ancestors, and I know that you died for this. These were like sacred wisdom teachings, sacred medicine knowledge. You died for that. You had to give up your life for that. But the very least I can then do is teach it again and also use the word witch poverty and then just take the consequences of doing that. But those consequences are very, very mild compared to what our ancestors went through. Yeah, absolutely. And and I really feel them standing behind me, you know, mm-hmm. when when I'm when I'm doing the work. I really feel that connection to them and out out in the land. And you know, like you said, we we have a lot to be grateful for them for you know who they were and the work they did because it's you know it's all laid down as energy for us to just like like pick up and then you know to to honor them for what they for what they went through it's like yeah 
And then there's a there's a hashtag witch wound. Um, ah, yeah, yeah, which I which I think I think that's 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 a really good like short way of acknowledging um, what a lot of us are going are going through because like I mean I've been working through it for years and it's still you know there's there's always new layers of it but I have got to the point now where I don't feel mortally terrified (laughs) sort of openly you know doing this this kind of work or using the witch word or saying I'm a witch or that kind of thing and and yeah it's a lot it's a lot better than it was for a lot of us but there's still plenty more to do and I think that Mm -hmm. open acknowledgement by society of like this happened this was bad we we acknowledge that this was terrible you know that 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 is um, an important step I think to take with all of us definitely healing work to be done and I think also etymology can work if we go to the word origin because like the word witch has become such a dreaded word but really if you look at it on the level of etymology it is related to the words witty and wise so a witch really is you know it's a a wise person it's a person who has wisdom and knowledge and it's a person you know it's a person who can heal and those meanings if you look at the etymology of the word with which um you know you can find it in a you know etymology like dictionary or like online online so actually if you look at the origin of that word the origin of that word isn't actually terrible and sometimes i think that also helps to sort of like look at like rather than all the projections demonic projections that we have like uh, glued on to a word what does the word actually mean when we strip it of those layers of projection so that's an interesting journey to make if you want to do that and that i think also helps with the healing of the witch womb so i'll have to check out that hashtag now yeah 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 it's a, uh, yeah it's a good it's a good hashtag that one i like that one so we want to make sure we have time to talk about your new book that's coming out medicine of the imagination yes dwelling in possibility and it's an impassioned plea for fearless imagination so this is my third book and um it was very strange because this is the book i had not planned to write um i had just on the day had submitted my like edited manuscript for book number two which was about sacred art to the publisher so that went off at nine in the morning, like final, final revisions. Now I can't touch it anymore because it will go to the printer. And I thought, ah, I'm going to have six months off before I even think of writing another book. I'm just going to paint, reveal, because it's intense getting a book, and especially a book like that. I think this was quite a hard book to write. So the spirits, as they do, came and said, you're going to write a new book, and the title is Medicine of the Imagination. And we want you to write the outline now. And I couldn't believe it. I wasn't planning this. This hadn't been on my mind. Uh, but of course, you know, I tend to do what the spirits say because my life is spirit-led. So I sat down and I thought, where am I going with this? Medicine, the imagination. Like, what is that? So started working on it. And of course, the spirits came. So what it has turned out to be, in a way, it's been a book for the pandemic we're in now. I can now understand why they came and insisted that I write that, because this book makes so much sense now we are dealing with the pandemic than before. And I'm very happy that it's gone through the editorial process and it's now in the shops, basically, or it will be. The date of publication is October 30th, so soon. And what it really does is I'm making an argument for harnessing the human imagination to kind of actively use it to create different outcomes. Because at the moment, we know we have an imagination, but almost no one is really aware of the energetic um, consequences of using our imagination in a way that we've been like conditioned or we just do it naturally when we do not discipline our mind. Well, actually, it's the most powerful tool we have. And everything we see in the world today originates in someone's or in a group's imagination. So unless we really look at how we use our imagination and the energetic consequences of thoughts we're sending out in the world and of the way we are thinking, I think we do not stand a chance of being the lasting change our world really, really needs right now. 
Now, the pandemic and COVID-19 are also asking all of us to really think about like the paradigm shift that needs to occur. I mean, the issues have become there, they have intensified. We don't have the choice anymore of pretending that we can just carry on as we did before. So what we need to do is learn to use our imagination in a disciplined way with a lot of shadow awareness so we can start creating, collectively co-creating the world that we all want. And I think we also owe that to the children and the people who come off, come after us. Like we can't really leave into the mess we're in today. I think it is clear that the way you've been creating reality up to now, that is not working. So we all need to collectively arrive at a new way of creating healthy and functional reality. And if we do not do that, if we do not go through that process of awareness, we're inadvertently colluding with creating more of the same of what came before. So that is to, you know, and then there are lots of details. Every chapter has an activity. So the book is actually very, very practical. It really tells people how you can practically do this. But that is the concept behind that book. And as I said, it took me months of grappling with it before I even understood what the spirits were asking me to do. This was a much harder book to write than my previous two books or the fourth book I've written since. So this has been my, you know, my most difficult labor, getting this book out in the world. Why was it why was it so difficult to write? What was what was difficult about it? Because I had to turn upside down all the furniture in my own mind and I had to question every single belief I have ever had. And I had to go back to everything all of my own teachers have ever taught me and turn that upside down. I had to do a gigantic amount of unlearning. And also some of what is in this book really comes from psychology. It's kind of like half shamanic practice and, you know, also Northern tradition work. And the other half of it is psychology, because I had to use the language of psychology to explain what was going on. But the thing is, I'm not a psychologist. I've not formally studied psychology. So if I am going to use material from that very different field in which like, you know, I'm not a practitioner, I had to do so much reading and I had to triple check every footnote so everything is credited. But the amount of research and reading I had to do to get to a point where I feel that with a degree of, well, not a authority but that with a degree of actually knowing my stuff that I could write about this that was just that was a that was a, a gargantuan uh, job but like I've done it to the best of my ability and we'll soon find out what people think you know, people are like um, writing reviews at the moment and some people were who are you know about to publish reviews so I hold my breath and I'll see what happens now you know when people start reading it it was a bit scary when a book comes out yes <laughs> That sounds great, though. I'm really looking forward to read that, Imelda. Well, yeah, I hope um, other people are too. Um, but um, I think just also to say that, you know, the most beautiful things we have on Earth, you know, other than the, the beautiful landscapes and the land, but, you know, there are so many man-made things, like we have architecture, literature, theatre, music, art, you know, moon landings, humanitarian projects. All of that, it originates in the, in the human imagination. But, you know, the witch trials, the Holocaust, the kind of ethnic cleansing and genocide, or the really, really the unspeakable horrid acts. We also see, you know, civil war, uh, refugee camps, kids in cages, uh, you know, at the U.S. border in detention camps. All of those things are products of the human imagination. So at some point, it's going to be we want to create more of, as I said, the, you know, the, the literature, the humanitarian approaches, a better society, or are we going to keep on creating the things we haven't built? And then also, you know, I talk about, again, the need for ancestral leading work, same as it is with the word witch in the way that you know, people died for their beliefs and were burned at the stake. Many people have died in other ways as well. You know, people have died in the Holocaust and World War II. And nobody really teach that in school. And I think you know, my own mother, who's still alive, has memories of that. She's been telling my children what it was to be a child during World War II. But there hasn't been a large-scale authority. There hasn't been a large-scale initiative to say, okay, this may never, ever, ever happen again. Like, what do we collectively need to do to put in place a way of thinking that would make it impossible for such an outcome to occur? 
And then if you look all over the world where certain like, politicians already are or are going, and I'm not mentioning any names, I look at that and I think, please, surely we do not need another genocide or another version of the Holocaust or another civil war. I mean, look at the, the Middle East and what's happening there. Mm. Surely in an age of information technology, and you know, books being out there, there's some fabulous teachers alive in the world teaching marvelous materials. Surely, with all of these resources available to us, the choice is now open to us to walk a different path. So, that is what this book does, and it tries to provide the toolkit, just like a very practical toolkit for how do I actually do this? How do I start checking and disciplining and harnessing the way I use my own imagination? And how does that come into play when I am with groups or when I am with other people? You know, a bit like um, in our Sweden group, we did a shadow exam recently. That has just been one small like, aspect of that. There is like, far more that needs to be done. So we just did a lot of shadow work in our Sweden group. And, you know, it was uplifting and beautiful. It wasn't negative, was it? No, no, no. And, and, I, and I think that is, that's something else that is starting to expand now through sort of like facebook and things like that 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 shadow work is just it is just the thing it is the thing um and we're embracing that 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 side of ourselves um even more but going back to what you were saying you know i i i really believe like if there's a hope for mankind then that is about you know us being able to go inside of ourselves and draw out what's within and using these techniques like journeying and things like that the things that we get, the things we can draw out, this is what's going to save the world. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, these are very, very powerful tools indeed. But, uh, you know, as well as journeying out, I think we also need to be psychonauts. I think we need to be fearless explorers of our own psyche. So, yeah, we need to journey out and like meet all these amazing beings who are just waiting to be asked to be our teachers. I mean, they're like right there waiting, but they cannot work with us unless we ask because, they, you know, the cosmic order requires permission for things like that. But I think we need to also even just... You know, it's an indigenous wisdom teaching that the whole world or the whole cosmos even also exists within ourselves. So that wisdom teaching is true, and I believe it to be true. It means that all of the things that are happening in the world we can also access within ourselves. And then we need courage, some skill in our imagination. But it also then means that on a literal level, that with all of these things we observe in the world, if they're also within me, it means I can go within myself and I can start working with that today. There is no need for me to stay in a place of feeling so powerless. Oh, I watch the news. It's all so terrible. Oh, who am I? This one little person here in London, UK. It's not actually like that. The accumulated choices and actions of even one middle age, shall we say, human being, um, you know, hopefully longer, but a whole human lifetime of action and choices actually amounts to a huge energetic footprint in the world. So I would say spread this awareness and make very conscious choices around how you proceed. So that's Medicine of the Imagination, Dwelling in Possibility, and that's coming out. um, You can pre-order it on Amazon already, and then it's getting sent out from the end of October. Well, I got an email from the publisher saying the book is in the warehouses, so in truth it sounds like they'll start sending it out now. Already, yeah, brilliant. You should have it it pretty soon, yeah. Yeah. So before we finish today, are there any last things that you want to, we haven't got to, or...? Oh, I think we've covered quite a lot. Yeah, I think one more thing, maybe if I may go back to the runes for a moment, that I know that traditionally speaking, it was a case of, um, you know, like the old Norse society operated more of a sort of gender boundary, though there were also exceptions. And it was, you know, in some ways more egalitarian than our society is today. But that, again, is a whole huge topic. But like traditionally speaking, Women did more of the say their work and like, you know, prophecy work, like embodying the vulva and going on the high seat and stuff like that. And, you know, traditionally men were more drawn to the path of being a room magician. 
And I sometimes get questions about it. People say, oh, like, I'm a woman. Can I still work with the rooms? Or, oh, I'm a man. Can I still go on the high seat? So I just think it's very important to say that, um, yes, these pathways are open to all of you. You don't need a man to work with the rooms. I mean, they're incredibly powerful uh, female room magicians, also women authors right on the topic and all of it. So, like, please not get stuck in that idea. And also, equally, um, if you're a man and if you come on a say their like workshop or course or say like a two-year program in Sweden, uh, men also get to work with the girls by on the high speed and so you know all of that Seder material. So I think today I see no no need and also really opening up the whole gender construct, you know, like we have so many more options now. Um, you know, where we can also we can do that without society demonizing us too much um, and I think in the old Norse times there were constructs for that as well they were actually fairly enlightened when it came to things like that so some of the things we're doing today they were already doing then and they're mentioned in the saga so that's also worth saying that in a way they were maybe more modern than we think we were but also for your audience I just want to say that please not tie yourself in knots around gender constructs don't think you need to be a man to be a room magician or don't think that if you are a man, you can't do the same work. That work in all its all of its multi-dimensional manifestations is like open to anyone who brings a sincere interest in work. That would be my closing point. That's great. It's a really good point, Amelda. Thank you. And I just want to um, check with you. You you have a website. What's what's the name of your website? Oh, it's very silly. It's actually much easier uh, if you put my name in the, you know, the, whatever, the, the title line uh, for the interview. You just type in my name, it will come up. But it actually is www.shaman-healer-painter.co.uk. And when I made that website 10 years ago, I was fiddling around. I was still, uh, you know, um, I, I had no idea how well visited and prominent that website was going to be. And if I made it today, it would be called The Pregnant Hack. But then I got to make an online school, so I now have an online school called The Pregnant Hack. This is, you know, I like that much better. But there you go. I'll put it I'll put it on the show notes anyway, so people can see it. Yeah. And Imelda's got some great art videos on youtube and go yeah, and have YouTube a look at channel yeah. yeah all for free you can watch it all for free i'm always surprised that no people are always asking for workshops i think well there's so much on youtube you can watch for free for free like start there you know you can go there right now and watch it now but people are a bit funny that way so thank you for talking to us today and we could go on there's so much more we could talk oh, about yes we, we didn't even really hours. get started on the runes <laughs> yes we can do that another time. Yeah, we'll say that. We'll say that for another out. day. So, thank you very much. And um, yeah, have a good week. <laughs> for me too, thank you for um, having me. And to your audience, thank you for listening to me. You're have welcome. Bye, everyone. Bye.
ka himalaho, i ka pili koholuaia. E a ke kahula lo pihana, e kohopuhu kapaliliai. Haina mahi kapuana, e kahaliko puokuhukui. Ahu heia valea nohoe, e kahaliko puokuhukui. Kuhiahu ko naihia, a kahapuhu kemomodinehi. Ihi koui kahi manaho, i kahapili kohaluhaia. Ea ke kahula lo pihana, he kohopuhu kapaliliai. Haina mahi kapuana, e kahaliko puakukui. Hey, no one know na ka ue i.